listening to CS Book Club. We're reading Introduction to Graph Theory, and today we're going to read Chapter 4 and maybe Chapter 5. I'm Brian, and with me is Clint. Hi. Justin. Come on, man. Justin's there, I promise. And Amy. Hey, everyone. So Chapter 4 is Euler's Formula. Were you all excited to read about uh, Leonard Euler? I was. I was, too. I, it was It was kind of refreshing to get back into um, some kind of algebraic type uh, uses here. I feel like the last few chapters were very just kind of abstract drawing. It was, it was kind of nice to get into some, some algebra that my simple brain could understand. I was mostly excited to see the concept of, of graph walking introduced in the beginning. And that seemed to reground it for me in some kind of computer science-y thing. Something I would do when writing a program. Although we didn't go too, too deep into, into walking. Yeah, I agree, Justin. I got, I think, uh, two or three pages into this and then uh, had to stop. But those first two or three pages, I was like, oh, yeah, like this is really, um, really applicable to how I think about things. Um, and then the actual formula itself wasn't necessarily relevant to my work, but the, the uh, discussion of, of walking and, and talking about what it means to, for a graph to be connected uh, was really interesting. Yeah, it seemed obvious in previous chapters that a connected graph was what when it was connected when I when I looked at it. But then grounding that in the actual, you know, formalizing walking the the vertices made a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. Like it becomes something where you can think about the formula that would prove that a graph is connected, and then. The immediate thought in my head was like, that does not seem like a formula that's necessarily uh, perfect to, to or easy to optimize. Did you find the definition of faces similarly intuitive? I hadn't thought about it before, but when, but yes, it seemed very intuitive. I Although not, the, the face of the infinite face was interesting. I had not thought of faces in a planar type uh, in- environment I, I i thought of faces on like a three-dimensional object or something um to think of it flat was was new to me oh interesting yeah like i mean you think about like a uh, three-dimensional like a cube like i i would think i would personally identify the faces as like the six sides of it essentially um right maybe, maybe that's not right but that was my my first thought on those things so to imagine it flat then and then it, it, I don't know, it almost sounds more like spaces than faces, but I understand that. <laughs> I more like I mean, you spaces. Laugh, you look at, no, I mean, you look at it, on a, and that's what it looks like to me. Like, you have this space inside, and you have this space outside, and you have distinct spaces. Like, no. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Clint, for the, the way we use the word face in everyday discussion. Faces are always a three-dimensional thing yeah would, yeah that was how i interpreted justin you were saying that the concept of the infinite face was uh interesting it to just you. it just hadn't occurred to me before mm-hmm. I, I looked at the image before i read everything um when i got to that page and seeing the number one on the the infinite white space around the graph mm-hmm. was, was interesting like oh that's a face as well mm-hmm. something that hadn't occurred to me before so did we find a walk you said you found it interesting, but I, I feel like we've skipped over some things. 
Oh, there wasn't much to it. I just meant that um, before we were looking at images of graphs, and it was very oh. easy to tell, like, intuitively, like, oh, these are connected or not connected because I can see that they're connected or not connected. But then actually saying if a graph is walkable um, uh, to all vertices, then it kind of formalizes the idea of, of connected. So a, gra- we- a, wa- a walk in a graph is a sequence of vertices. Right. Adjacent vertices. Yes. Do we use a different word for... Uh, for connected and not connected in previous chapters, or was it also the same word, disjointed or something? Hmm. I think it was consistent. I yeah. think one thing I noticed when we got to this chapter, and I think he calls it out later here, that we've gotten to the point where there are so many different terms, it's hard to keep them all straight in your head. You know, by the end of this chapter, I was feeling that. Yeah. And also... Um, the statement that only only planar graphs have faces was interesting in the sense of um, we seem to be spending a lot of time on only planar graphs. And I wonder, and I know we talked earlier in this book about like not being a book about application, but just more about the math. Um, but I wonder applying graphs to real world scenarios, like do you run into planar versus non-planar more often? Mm. Well, to be non-planar, Non-planar involves, in my mind, like a third dimension. Like a planar graph is flat. You can make it flat. Right. But a non-planar graph, you end up like in a third dimension. If you're talking about practical applications, I don't know how many things. But even like, something I'm, as simple as like roadways, right? Like a bridge going over another road is non-planar. Yeah. So, I mean, in this case, if you care about the faces, then maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, a bridge going over another road, it doesn't have to be non-planar. If you could reconstruct that highway or that road to not go over, I mean, right? Go around the other, go around the yeah. That road is isomorphic to a different road. Well, I mean, maybe that road ends, and you could just Mm. go around it. It's just they made it non-player because it was more economical. Anyway, so like your open mind. I just yeah. Any sequence of distinct vertices in KV is a walk, so you have to go from adjacent vertices. And to be connected means that every vertice is joined by a walk. There you go. Yeah, their use throughout this thing makes connected sound very like scientific, but it's really just like, are all the vertices in the graph? Can you go? Can you connect the dots? Yeah. <laughs> or do the, do the edges already connect the dots? There you go. I like the you know, depending on how you draw the graph, though, you might be tricked into thinking that a graph is connected, like the one that looks like the star of David. In figure yeah. 95, where it's like, oh yeah, that's connected, but then it's, it's like a psych out. Like, just move them, move them apart, boom, they're not connected. Yeah, that was, that was, that graph was used as an example in earlier chapters for some kind of, I forget what it was. But we've seen that star as an example of something. And I don't think I can command F star <laughs> <laughs> on the Kindle edition, unfortunately. All right. We talked about um, uh, faces, but the the actual definition is that when a planar graph is actually drawn in a plane without edge crossings, it cuts the plane into regions called faces of the graph. And uh, I don't know. I, I um, it, to me that wasn't actually like a great definition because it was like it wasn't explicit enough about what the faces were. But it like I think we're like we were talking about like face is such a colloquial term that I could imagine. What was implied? Yeah. Um, okay, I was gonna say, 
uh, I was wondering if they mentioned the Jordan curve theorem now or later, because this is a perfect time to mention it. And it turns out he actually does, like right away. Because he uses that as an example of taking a single face and defining it into two. Because you have a connected thing and you have an inside and an outside, basically. Mm. Um, they had some very practical examples of that, though, afterwards. That made a little bit more understanding. So the next definition, if you're all okay moving on. Yeah. Uh, this, the, a polygonal graph. I didn't, it, it, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. I was a little bit confused by, by why this would be, I mean, I, I guess I understand why it's polygonal, but it, for some reason that term, like, hit me the wrong way. Yeah, I think and, it's the same as face. Like, we imagine a geometric thing and not. Yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. word's over- overloaded. I also found that this was the first definition that didn't kind of intuitively make sense to me. Not because of the definition. Um, I agree with you. I think of polygonal in a far different manner than it's defined here, but whatever. It's just a definition. Um, the fact that an edge is has unique properties if it borders on only one face... That was kind of the first point where I was like, this just doesn't quite intuitively make sense. I don't have a mental model that I can tie this back to. Um, even though I think when we, when we look at the graphs and we see what kind of edges, um, have only one border on only one face, you know, you see the like snake off into, into the, the infinite face. Um, 96A. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Well, so, and the, the thing about 96A, though, is that there are two um, different types. And I get the one, the, that little arm coming up off the top, the part where it just snakes off up. Like, that intuitively kind of makes sense. But the, the edge, uh, and the nodes aren't labeled here, but the edge in face number three that connects that little island. Um, oh, that is another one. And, you know, like, I I was just kind of surprised to think, like, that, that that's a special category of edge that, that, I, that I should see this graph and I should think, gosh, that little roadway to the island has in some way similar properties to that little arm off into the, the ocean, right? Like, they're two very different different things. And so I think this was kind of the spot for me where I was like, I... I no longer have like this intuitive touchstone to what we're talking about, uh, and I'm I'm just gonna have to logic my way through it. You know, I did not notice that little arm going to the island, as you say, as something that would disqualify it as polygonal. Like you could get rid of that thing in the top right that goes out to the sea, as you say, and mm-hmm. it still it would not be polygonal because of number number that that edge there. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean, that little that little arm in the top right is a giveaway. It's like, well, there you go. Yeah, and I think uh, given given how we see this kind of used for Euler's, to prove Euler's theorem, like the, the significance of the arm going out into the sea, like I can see how, you know, just continually adding more and more edges. Um, I, can, I can see how that could mess with the formula, uh, definitely. Um, and, and that's kind of an intuitive thing, but yeah, the, the road out into the island, 
it's harder for me to intuitively understand that that would, you know, break the balance of Euler's formula. So what did you all think of Euler's formula? thought it was pretty cool. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was, it was, it was like a really interesting, like observation, I guess. It was like something that was like kind of a eureka moment. Like, oh, well, look at this really simple formula. I was kind of disappointed when we get to the, the proof of it. And the proof is combine the previous two proofs. I was like, damn it. Come See, on. To me, that's like an awesome proof. Like, oh, we did all the hard work. So here you go. Well, I mean, that's kind of like stumbling on a piece of gold and be like, oh, look. I'm a gold miner. <laughs> no, you're not. You just like stumbled upon this. But yeah, but I mean, in this I case, we actually did like mine a bunch of gold. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that, that's true. I realize no, the I mean, metaphor he, is not the point. He he had to he had to put all these things together and come to this this epitome, this amazing conclusion that no one ha- else had. I appreciate that. Um, I guess in the book, I was just kind of disappointed. It's like, well, combine up at least two. You know, wipe my hands clean. Like, <laughs> thanks. But I, I enjoyed these kind of definitions because I felt like, I don't know, maybe earlier in the book, I don't know, th- these were a little easier for me to follow for some reason. So building up to, uh, you know, the mathematical induction, getting into the algebra of things, like, I don't know, it was easier for me to follow. This part of the book, I kind of breezed through a little bit. It was just easier. For me. Yeah, and for, so, for the formula, I kind of thought about it a little bit, and it seemed kind of intuitive that, like, if you're adding a face, you must be adding an edge as well. Mm-hmm. So, plus face minus edges um, would always remain constant. And you couldn't yeah. really like add a new, a brand new face without adding uh, two edges. At, well, at, at least two. Well, actually, that's not true. I take that back. You can cut one face in half with an edge. Mm-hmm. I like that in the same paragraph too. He mentions uh, <laughs> he mentions the constant for pi, but doesn't actually say pi by name, which I thought was pretty. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? arrogant <laughs> or something <laughs> like oh yeah. or, or 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 bold that like you know what pi is i'm not going to write it here he just wrote dot 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 can you imagine being like a, one of the most like i didn't read about his history so like when he came up with this formula as far as his career goes but like can you imagine being like this prolific mathematician and you do all this stuff and then one day you sit down to your friends and be like oh yeah guys look v plus f minus e is two and they're like what you like you'd rather like fill a frame. fill a chalkboard full of no. It's just like if you think about it, it's like here you have this mathematician and you're like, okay, well, if it's you know, let's see, it's polygonal. And you set the stage right, and you're like, oh, these things then equal two. It's like when you when you when you say, oh, you, you start your equation, but then it equals just two. Like I could see that as be like, what? That just seems like too simple to like be a thing. But he's like, oh yeah. Vertices plus faces minus the edges is two. I'm like, okay, that sounds really simplistic. Are you sure? So just as an aside, um, are you familiar with Euler's identity? You might, you might be familiar with it if I say it out loud, like the, the actual identity. It rings a bell, but I couldn't say it. Enlighten me or refresh it, well, me. It's another one where it might seem kind of anticlimactic to state where it's like e to the pi i plus one equals zero. But... Uh, one of my friends has a story where she told her friend about this identity and kind of like they were on like a nature walk and she like sketched out like why it works. And for the rest of the nature walk, he was just like shouting to the woods, like E to the pi I equals negative one. It was a very exciting moment. So don't <laughs> underestimate the power of a simple identity, I guess is what I'm saying. 
Yeah. I'm not familiar with that. What's up with this guy? He likes these, like, really small, difficult axioms. Okay. Here's little three little things. Equal two. <laughs> I did I admit, though, I, I did draw some graphs and do the math. I mean, I, t- I took it as truth, but I wanted to see it happen. Did you draw, as uh, Trudeau recommended, two dozen or a few dozen planar connected graphs? No, I drew like three. Okay, just checking. And I basically drew a circle with a bunch of dots on it and connected it a couple times so it'd be planar. And then I drew a couple of variations of it. Oh, actually, what he kind of says. He says, take any situation, honeycomb, gamma rays, or me, a madman's doodle. That's basically what I did. I just kind of like drew some stuff and really quickly made sure it wasn't like breaking the rules as far as like edging edge crossings and stuff like that. Didn't know he was talking about me. Oiler knows. He knew. Hundreds of years ago. He knew. Is there anything about the proof for the, you know, two related theorems that y'all want to touch on? Well, this chapter we do introduce the principle of mathematical induction. Oh, yeah. I wonder if this is going to be a reoccurring thing we're going to talk about. But I remember in college or high school, whenever I was first introduced to like algebraic proofs that uh, this part kind of frustrated me in the beginning. It's like prove it for one and then prove it for n plus one. And I was like, well, do, doing the whole balancing it and refactoring the algebra, I remember at the time it was very frustrating to me. So when we started doing that here, it was like flashbacks. Uh, we get kind of into the weeds. I like the last sentence is, if an argument by mathematical induction were really inductive, it would have no validity in mathematics. Yeah. Let's see. So in terms of the consequences of Euler's formula, these didn't necessarily resonate with me. A couple of, I was like, I don't know, some of them seemed... uh, Specific? Yeah, like, like, okay, well, that's true. But why do I care? <laughs> yeah. Whereas, I mean, the yeah, like the the examples of where Euler's formula itself can be applied, uh, those are a lot more compelling. Yeah, this is definitely one of the places where I feel like the term overload got um, pretty crazy. So. Specifically looking at corollary 11 and corollary 12, mm-hmm. um, in which they're saying, so this is an alternate way of proving that K5 and um, the utility graph are non-planar. And except when we start this chapter, we talk about definition 24, a graph is polygonal if it is planar. So we've already kind of defined what planar is. Um, and, uh, granted that defining what planar is doesn't go to prove what a particular instance, whether a particular instance is planar or not. Um, so I, I get that corollary 11 and 12 aren't tautologies, but it sure felt like that. I was like, we already proved that. (laughs) And, and the concept of what planarity is and is critical or seem, I, it, seems like is is part of our proof of Euler's theorem anyways. So it, it felt like we were going in circles a little. I felt like he kind of addressed that at the end of this chapter, though. Because he, he discussed how in previous chapters we defined uh, K5 and utility graph to, to have those properties, and we used like very 
abstract kind of theorems and definitions of, of uh, graphs and, and what is to be those things. And in this case, we actually translated that into algebra. Uh, and you know, in the, at the end of this chapter, he talks about several things where we translate into a different medium, essentially, and then translate back, which is, I think, what kind of what he was doing here. Like, he said, he makes that statement, and then we translate it into algebra and prove it. So, yeah, it was redundant, but it was, like, a different way of defining it, I guess, that hmm. had, for me, more concrete, like, logic to it, I guess. That's probably a poor way of saying that, but, like, to be, to be able to express it in algebra made it much more, like, in previous definitions, or previous chapters, I just accepted it. And yeah. here it was more like, okay, I can follow step by step and see, yes, I, this has yeah. concluded, you know, beyond a doubt to me that this is true. Whereas, like I said before, I just kind of, ex- I just went with it. I was like, okay, you say these things, I'm going with it. True. These things make sense, I guess. No, I think that's fair. And I think uh, part of it is just how, how the concept of, we, we spent a lot of time when we were talking about what planar graphs are going into, all right, so what is and what is not. A planar graph, and so the idea that uh, the complete graph above five nodes, at five nodes and above, and and the utility graph are are non-planar, seems like really critical to to my understanding of what a planar graph is. And so to come back and be like, and we're reproving that based off of something that depends on the definition of planarity, mm. um, feels a little weird. But I totally get that it's not. Absolutely not uh, poor logic. It's just part of part of how I'm thinking about things, and uh, I can totally see Clint how how seeing the numbers can help bring some solidity to it. Yeah, I I do feel this similar though. Like I, I sometimes I feel like these definitions are not circular, but it's like you're you're building off theorems, off of theorems, off of theorems. You know, it's it's turtles all the way down essentially. That's the beauty part. That's why it's good. Yeah, and like we define the same thing, we prove the same thing many different ways. And it's like a big deal if we prove an existing thing that's already been proved, but with a new method. Like I guess if you're a mathematician, like that could be really cool. But for me, it's like we've already proved this. Can we do new things? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is maybe a little bit tortured, but like to tie it back to programming, like, you know, two Turing complete languages can do exactly the same things, but I think we all have our preferences as to which ones we use. And it's uh, both fun and useful to do the same thing, you know, in one as, as the other. That's fair. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. This chapter definitely reminded me why I really did not enjoy my math classes and coming, coming at it from the perspective of someone who like, I, I know I'm at least a halfway decent programmer, right? Um, it is it is interesting to see that, you know, now I can say, yep, this just is not quite how my brain works. This is not, this is wonderful, but not, not exactly what my brain kind of desires, um, what it likes to chew on and find rewarding. Uh, but as a younger self, I would have been like, oh, math, logic. No, I'm going to do history. So the closing section of this chapter, algebraic topology, I enjoyed it. I didn't quite <laughs> feel like it had a logical reason to be here exactly. 
Um, you know, obviously the, the donut and the fact that a donut is topologically equivalent to a, a coffee cup is, is fun. <laughs> That's and... the only thing I highlighted in this section. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he's, he's trying to make a point that I think Clint made reference to where uh, it's not just physical objects that can be topological equivalents. You can think about logical problems as having like a topology and you can transform that problem, solve it one way, and then transform it back. Um, and it's still valid. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to think about it, to say thoughts could be topologically equivalent to others. But then again, I'm not sure where that really leaves us and where this chapter is supposed to really end. Yeah, the thing that I had um, highlighted was just that um, uh, but, uh, the advantage is that an algebraic proof of a topological theorem is shorter than a topological proof, which may not even exist. The disadvantage is that the algebraic proof is less conductive or conducive, rather, to real understanding. So if you can find a way to express your topological problem algebraically, you might have more powerful tools to prove one thing or another, but yeah. you, you also don't necessarily have uh, the intuition that you might from like a topological proof that involves like illustrating the coffee cup, tra- you know, transforming into a donut. Yeah, this this is the part that I guess I was talking about where it's like if you can convert it to something else, then you can do things with it. I guess, but I I agree that that was like the only part that was even relevant because. If he just said, you know, here we use, you know, this kind of continuous deformation uh, or transformation that you see in, you know, algebraic topology, where we kind of converted this uh, formula or, or this graph and did a proof by converting it into algebra or something, uh, and then just left, like that would have been better. But instead, we, we, we did a bunch of stuff with coffee cups um, and, and Roman numerals. The... the <laughs> Um, I highlighted a funny part, but I guess it's not really worth mentioning. Uh, did you uh, highlight the uh, people who like mystery stories? No. Oh, man, the part cracked me up. I highlighted the part where it says, it's been said that geometry is the art of applying good reasoning to buy bad diagrams. I was like, well, that's, that's pretty just that night. But then, yeah, I didn't really get, like, the person finished his thought in the hospital because he bit his coffee cup. I'm like, okay, I don't really get that joke. <sighs> I guess the, the part that I... I feel like I feel like uh, Richard is kind of a wacky dude, <laughs> um, because his like his like uh, you know like okay so the disadvantage of the algebraic proof is that it's you don't necessarily understand it as well, and then later down he's like uh, it might not even be a disadvantage if you're the kind of person who likes mystery stories or if you fantasize <laughs> about being seduced by a mysterious yes. stranger. <laughs> I, okay, what? I do have that. I do have that part highlighted. It was just on the next page. Um, the other part I liked was above that, where he's talking about you know ones being purely algebraic and complete. Yet the second proof is somehow mysterious. After reading it, we wonder what happened. And that's like, yes. After I've read most of these proofs, I've wondered what happened. Um, but it also kind of touched, like he talked about, you know, our our intellect is convinced, but our intuition isn't. And that kind of goes back to the the idea of of sitting there and my buddy Euler comes in and drops this bomb of, yeah, you know, the faces and edges or what is it? Faces plus vertices minus edges is two. I'm like, my intuition is like, nah, two. That seems really convenient. 
Like, yeah, it just seems like yeah, you just, you're you're joking with me. We're gonna do something on the white the like the board, and it's gonna spell something funny, and I'm gonna look silly. Like you're messing with me too. Yeah, my intuition is like nothing nothing that like pivotal and and important of a discovery could equal to forty two maybe, but two mm, mm-hmm. no. So yes, after reading it, we wonder what happened. Anything else to note about uh, this chapter? No, not really. I enjoyed the the false proof of the horses. It actually highlighted kind of my original problem with this kind of proof because my mind would just get lost in replacing n by k equals one type stuff to where like I feel like I've just gone in circles and proved nothing, which is exactly kind of what you do here. Um, I was like, see, this is exactly what my mind does on its own. But no, that was the end of. I, I did the. I kind of played with the the first. I guess that's the second exercise. And then um, I did exercise three and kind of figured out the, the the number of faces to that graph. But after that, I was like, okay, I'm done with math. And I, I moved on. Moved on to platonic graphs? No. I moved on to platonic graphs another time. Okay. But I hear they're fun to talk about. <laughs> well, that does it for chapter four. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. See you next time.